You're listening to the Black Eagles podcast with Sinan Schwarting and Khan Bayazid. Welcome back, everybody. Besiktas International's The Black Eagles podcast is coming back at you with episode 92. My gosh, we've been doing this a long time. Uh, I am, of course, your host, Sinan Schwarting, live from New York City. Uh, And of course, today I have another guest co-host with me. Uh, and the original one at that. Folks, put your hands together. It's Khan Bayazid. He's back with us from Belgium. How you doing, sir? I was here last week. Well, <laughs> two weeks in a row. How good did you oh. get? Fantastic. Uh, but no, yeah, I think this new this new Friday routine should should be uh, good in uh, this hey, regard. I nearly forgot. Uh, Kim reminded me of it, uh, I think. Did she? Yeah, I think she did. Well, it was right on time. I was just like hunkering down, having gotten my work done for the day. I was going to text you and you texted me. So here we are. <laughs> uh, the stars align. Um, and what a week, actually. This is a good episode. We, we've had so little cause for positivity uh, of late. And here we are. Uh, Besiktas hosted Galatasaray at the Vodafone Park. Uh, we've sort of given up on the old format here, so I don't think we need to spend too much time dilly-dallying as far as uh, we all know what happened. Besiktas won. One to nil. Uh, what I will do, uh, just to sort of get the conversation going, is like, let's transport ourselves to the beginning of the match, how we felt about things going into it. Uh, the lineup didn't throw out much in the way of surprises. We had Loris Karius in the goal, Domingos Vida, Enzo Rocco, perhaps there was a little surprise there. Enzo Rocco got himself a start. Uh, Robosho, Robosho, also started on the left side with Jonah Erkin uh, playing in the left wing position. Uh, of course, Jermaine Lenz would play uh, El Neni and Hutchinson, the two defensive midfielders there again. Uh, I skipped Gokhan Gonu. Uh, Diaby would play behind the striker or alongside the striker, depending on how you see it. And of course, Umut Nair would... Uh, play and impact the match, but we'll talk about that in a sec. Um, what did you think about that, Kai? Yeah, I, I'm, I was glad to see Umut uh, get rewarded for his uh, good perf- good showing, good substitu- substitution appearance against Braga. Uh, Guven starting on the bench, it's always good in my book. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, in general, I I kind of, well, I think the, the biggest surprise was maybe Leitch not playing. Uh, but uh, the main thing I was happy about is that Apchi uh, was finally shifting his lineup, um, where finally he put someone behind the striker. That's something he wasn't doing before. We were playing a flat 4 3 3 with a 
uh, with, with the left side of central midfield and the right side of central midfield. But this time he really did put someone in behind the striker and I really felt that that immediately had a positive impact. I think uh, after, what was it, 30 seconds or so, uh, Diaby played it through to Umut on the way, uh, through through the center and then Umut had a one-on-one opportunity uh, with, with the goalkeeper already with Muslera. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I thought it was a uh, pretty positive a good start yeah i mean it was a pretty intense match uh of course but obviously um i think going into any derby you can kind of throw away all your preconceived notions of what are going on it's it's, in a way i think it's a chance to kind of start with a blank slate again uh at least for one match And, and obviously in the case of one where you win you hope you can maybe build on it a little and put a few performances like this together but I mean, yeah, it, it, it's like this squad had a facelift, right? I mean, it was a completely different outlook from what we'd been seeing. Yeah, I think it was kind of a, a typical derby match where you kind of expect a team that's uh, on the ropes to um, emerge, get, be- get get beaten is what the normal consensus would be. You know, uh, our dear friend Aurelien would be... Uh, <coughs> Uh, crying beforehand, oh, he was. They are going to rape us. They're going to rape us because he, he loves to it. use use that word, that language. Um, but always, when you say something like that, you know the opposite is going to happen. Uh, but Especially no, but when the, it's our the, good friend Aurelian, of course. <laughs> <laughs> this this reminds me of uh, the the mid two thousands when uh, um, Fenerbahce under Kristof Daum. Uh, those two seasons that they won back-to-back titles and that second season and the third season especially in the third season they didn't win the title but in that second and third season they they were the the the, the, the favorites the it's especially in the second season they were like a dominant team nobody could really rival them uh, Trabzonspor did okay-ish but um much were really dominant that second season and it, it was this this period in Turkish football where they were going into every match as the clear favorites. And uh, this was also a dark period in Besiktas history, coming off of uh, the 2003-2004 season, where, uh, for those of you old enough to remember, uh, the, the whole Samson Spore match with Jem Papila kicking off a very uh, negative spiral, uh, the club spiraling out of control, basically. Um, but in that period... We won quite a few Fener- uh, Fenerbahce derbies, especially because uh, we were always going into those games where we were definitely seen as the underdogs. Uh, that that historical three-four win in Kadikoy happened in that time period. Um, and, and oh, was that somehow- with like Koloshko? No, no, that was the one with Afci, uh, Koray, uh, Koray scoring in uh, Koray Afci, yeah, Koray Afci scoring in the at a time in a ninety plus four minute, I think it was okay. scoring from the edge of the area after uh, Cordoba had gotten sent off and uh, Panku was playing in goal. Ah, Cordoba, so we're like we're in the nineties, okay. No, no, not, oh, no, sorry, the, uh, my gosh, the 2000s. I, there's a decade in there that I often just remove from my memory, perhaps. I don't That's 2005. That but was yeah, the second, yeah, the second half second half of the 2004-2005 season. You reached that, uh, and it, it, it's actually sad, Khan. You just reminded me that I reached that age where 
the 90s and the 2000s have become this congealed thing that was like oh darn it okay yes right that was, you mean uh, the next decade that was the season the, the season we started under Vincente del Bosque uh, we got John Caro and Juan Fran and we had all these high hopes and it was a terrible season but somehow we still managed to beat Fenerbahce in both games and that's also the la- I think it is the last time we won in Cadiquet if I'm not mistaken, so that's been I mean, a while. Yeah, of course, the lasting legacy of of the Del Bosque era was the like the legal troubles and getting him his yeah. like uh, his salary that he was so, like that was unfortunate. Um, yeah. But just it really to, was at the time. I think people will forget what a, what a coup it was to get a manager of that mm-hmm. kind of profile for our club. Yeah, he was coming off of winning the Champions League with Real Madrid just two years earlier, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and then he'd go on to win the Euro the Euro Cup with Spain. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. He went on and had a really good career. But the first, Aragones uh, was in there, the, the former Fenerbahce coach. Uh, he, he was in there. I think he won the Euros with Spain, and then he left there. Uh, anyway, um, but what I'm trying to say here is that usually going into these types of derbies where you have one team that's really suffering, really struggling, they almost never lose. Remember last season, Fenerbahce didn't lose a single derby, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they drew us twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was so they... frustrating. That was Remember, we uh, we had that 3-0 lead. Yeah. <laughs> I'll yeah, never yeah. forget. That was absolutely a, uh, the major low light for, for last season for me. And I we feel like that's where there. we lost. Exactly. Yeah. Like. That, and, and we didn't just lose it because we lost two points in that big match. It was, I think it had a knock-on effect, you know. That, that yeah, was such yeah, a yeah. demoralizer because we had it. Like, it was such it was such a high to such a low, you know what I we mean? Were, like, it was a crash yeah. is what it was. Yeah. Um, but anyway, focusing again on this match, let's talk about it. We saw a new side for this particular Besiktas squad. And, <clears throat> I mean, look, whether or not we sustain play... I'd like to uh, present an outlook for UConn and for the listeners. Paint, I'm gonna try to paint a picture with my words here. Now imagine a sandy landscape, two suns rising above the horizon, (laughs) a new hope has arisen. Look man, Besiktas is, can we say that Besiktas is theoretically back at least for a week, right? Like it. This would this could be the springboard. Best shot right now is in eighth place. Don't do 12 it. Twelve points. Sinan, don't do it. Six points less, out of first in, place. <laughs> in less than twenty-four hours, we will be in the aftermath of the Antalya game. So oh, don't no, do it. No, don't do that. Don't do it. <laughs> don't jinx. Uh, um, no, I know, I know. Look, all I mean to say is that this is uh, at least theoretically the moment to springboard for Abdul Avci if he has any desire to keep his post. Uh, this is his moment, right? He's he's given himself that little, he's opened up a portal for himself to jump through. And it's mm. just, does, can he do it? Can he make the leap? And uh, this is his chance, really. Yeah, Antalya think- Spore, we're coming into a match against Antalya Spore, who are in 13th place. Uh, mm. On 11 points, though. So they're literally lost their last home game 6 0 to Genshtermili. Yeah, which could be good or bad, right? They'll either come back real hungry to prove something or they're just completely demoralized and crushed. I would actually expect the latter, honestly. 6 0, that, that's where it starts to feel like, oh man, we have to make some major changes. Coaches, players, yeah, like, yeah, everyone's yeah. probably unsettled now. Like that. I don't know. But I but, think more importantly, it's 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 now it's 
we're going to see whether, well, we're going to see whether it's just one of those seasons for Bishdish where they're having an absolute dog shit season, but they can have a little moment here and there, like for example, this win against Galatasaray. But then going from a high immediately back to a low, which would be um, fitting, which is which is so the more, most likely scenario right now, I think. Yeah, however, even if not I think necessarily this, this week, at least probably like in the coming weeks, we can probably agree. Well, we we have a relatively easy schedule coming up. But, yeah, you know, I highlighted that last week that this is this is the window for him to get his ish together. Yeah. So we, we just had Galatasaray and we won, of course. And then we have Antalya Sport tomorrow. We have Braga in midweek, which will be tough. But then we have Denizli Sport at Newly home. Newly promoted Denizli Sport. And then Konya on the road. Then Konya away, that's that's tough. Then we have Slovan Bratislava at home uh, midweek again. So, uh, yeah, hopefully we can yeah, yeah, salvage whatever. some European points. Then we have Kayseri Sport at Kayseri, home. They just and then Kasim Pasha. So, like... And then Kasim Pasha, then we have Wolves again, then we have Yeni Malatya at home, and then we're away at Fenerbahce. Yeah. So until Fener, we're kind of in this, you know, uh, this we're theoretical a, revitalization window, right? So eh. we're we're in a period. We're we're coming up to a period now where we can uh, a hopefully uh, gather some morale, get some wins, get some points in, and b recuperate some injured players and hopefully mm. uh, nurture them and, and make sure that they don't get injured again and hopefully don't lose any players anymore to injuries. And if we can go into that Fenerbahce game in a couple of weeks' time and two months or whatever it is with morale and with a full healthy squad, then we have a decent opportunity. I think, I don't, I don't you know, I mean, I think there isn't a single team in the league that we cannot beat on our day with a full team available. I think, honestly, we, we, we've probably fi- all figured that with all the injuries we had, all the missing players we had against Galatasaray, that it would be near impossible for us to get a win, despite the fact that they were in poor form, something we highlighted last week, too, that Galatasaray are, were almost in as bad as a situation as we were. Not as bad, but almost. Um, but with our injuries, that it would be near impossible to win, but but yet we managed to do it. So maybe, but it's going to, you know, the Antalya game is going to be important to see whether this is going to be just. It's a bellwether small... match, right? We'll know what where the wind is blowing. But so it's, it's the first big time, I think, this season where we can talk of a potential turnaround for how bad things have been. And, and maybe there's finally a moment now the Galtry match is the perfect stepping stone for us to go forward to have a better season to salvage a little bit of of, of glimmer of hope right for, some, for some positive from all this negative but before uh before we go back into the match i quickly want to put a place marker on that thought, one of those thoughts you just had as far as coming back from injuries and all of that who is going to be available for Besiktas in this Antalya score match. Who's going to be back? So Burak, right? I heard Burak is back. Right? Burak is included in the squad, but Nkudu still isn't. So. Yeah, that's unfortunate. He was that's he's unfortunate. Been a big motor for us uh, in our darker <laughs> moments. But, I mean, hopefully maybe we can build on... Uh, Robosho has been really solid in a few weeks. So, I mean, all right. And, and that's good. Janar is suspended. He got the yellow card against Galatasaray, so he will be suspended for this match. So that means Pedro Robocho will uh, start once again at left back. And it also means that 
uh, Afti will be forced to use someone else as left as the left winger. And despite the fact that Janner did end up getting the assist to Umut Nair's goal, which obviously got us the win against Galatasaray, I think that's a positive thing because I really don't like Janner at left wing. Um, I've had this discussion multiple times over the past couple of years where people always think they have this brilliant idea of... What if we play oh, Janner on the wing? What if... Yeah, what if we play Janner on the wing because he's such a good crosser and he's so much better in attack than he is in defense. But what these people don't realize is that the reason he is so good in attack is because as a left back, he is afforded more space, more more room, less pressure on the ball from the fullback, from the opposition fullback. And you also see it here when, when he got his assist. When did that happen? At a moment where Adam Leic just came on the pitch found a pocket of space on the left with a, with a very well-timed pass. And it was by no means a, 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 a masterclass pass, but it was the perfect pass, a simple pass, but it afforded Janner time and space to get the cross in. And that's what Janner, when you're playing, for example, let's say you're playing against Antalya Sport, or you're playing against Siva Sport, you're playing against Konya Sport, teams that are going to be well-organized, that are going to try to shut you down, that are going to not give away a lot of space in behind the defense, then a player like Janner isn't very effective as a winger because he isn't going to get past his man easily. He isn't going to be able to create space for himself easily to get in those dangerous crosses because he isn't uh, a 32-year-old Ricardo Quaresma who could create space for himself. Well, I, was, I was gonna say, he's a bit of a Quaresma now, right? Like, he, he has I, one brilliant cross when he does play, and that could be on as a back or on the wing, mm. but he also typically has about like 10 that are, you know, okay to not so good, you know what I mean? Um, he has but a lot plus, of opportunity I don't know. to cross, because that's sort of, he's looking for that, so that's maybe a, an attribute of his to some extent. But have you ever noticed, uh, Sidan, for example, uh, let's say that we're having a counter-attacking opportunity or we're going down the right wing and Janner's playing on the left, Janner doesn't make good offensive runs. Ever. He doesn't he help sits back. to stretch. He just wants to cross. You know what I mean? Like yeah. He, he doesn't have those instincts. So as a left winger, he is very ineffective, in my opinion, yeah. when it comes to those aspects of the game, which are important, especially if we're going to play teams that are going to be tough to uh, dislodge. And then you have to make maximum use out of the spaces you're afforded. Well, and, and a player like... I don't... Don't fail to mention also, especially when you're playing with a guy like Umut Nair as your main option up front as well. Like you definitely need some support from the wings as far as getting attack. That's definitely been a, a great strength of Nkudu and why I think a lot of people have been very fond of him is he's shown a, a willingness to go forward that people we yeah, need. Yeah, the thing with Nkudu... The thing with Nkudu is that his end product is lacking. He doesn't really have a very good cross, uh, or at least we haven't seen that really of him. He doesn't seem... He's not the most intelligent player uh, in attack. I'm, I'm not... I don't, don't know how else I should frame that. I don't mean that as an insulting thing. But one thing with Nkudu is he's incredibly fast and he he creates a lot of problems for the opposition, whether he's 
whether he's having a good game or not, his speed is always going to cause problems. We saw it against Alanya Spore where he won us the penalty because he just he's a handful because of that speed and because of that unpredictability and explosiveness. He, he he's not constantly trying to cut in and try and fire a shot like a Ryan Babel. He's not very predictable. Yeah, um, and, and in that regard, in, to, to speaking to the kind of like lack of intelligence you're you're saying earlier. What it is, I think, is he's the kind of guy who keeps his head down. <clears throat> and so he'll go into a play with an idea, I think, of what he's going to try to do in his mind. And he won't necessarily place things well or all that accurately. He's more focused on the buildup, getting around his man. And he kind of, I think he has a sense like, okay, I'm going to try to get the ball into the middle. Generally. Like, he's not really like an accurate I don't know. It's almost mm. by de- I, I'd say it's by design. It's because it, he's investing so much of his energy into sort of what's going on before that, you know. And I don't know if that's like a something he's, that, that can be switched. You know, if someone can train that. I, hopefully, that's the case. Obviously. Yeah, I think that's something he could he could improve on theoretically. Uh, and I think with with uh, a couple of partners that he's used to once he gets exactly. yeah, that's a big part, used yeah. to, to team because he used to have a very good rapport with uh, Michi Bachuai back at Marseille. I think when he has uh, a, a striker, a partner in crime that he blindly knows he's going to make that run for the first post. Khan, are you saying that can... we should be getting Michi Bachuai? As a... <laughs> that sounds like a pretty good advocacy right there. I wish, but uh, that's uh, uh, not within our means, I think. But I just, I mean, I think it's important for, for a guy who doesn't have those amazing crossing abilities of, of uh, uh, Ricardo Quaresma or even Janner has a really good crossing ability. And I know people like to hate and it's like, oh, well, they, they cross 20 times a match and one cross lands, blah, 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 blah. But, you know... It's not just about how well you cross it. It's also how good the runs well, are. And all like this. I said, that's kind of a strength in a way, right? You need to be of the mindset where like a lot of guys don't want to let go of the ball, right? They don't want to give somebody else an opportunity. So it's, it's like, it's not like you could say it's a selfish, uh, you know, way of approaching the match or anything like that. Like I, you know, I think it has positives and negatives, but there's, I mean, as we've seen in the last couple of matches, there's clearly, uh, benefits to having a guy like John Ayer playing out there on the wing. So, uh, you know, yeah, it's, I, I agree with you insofar as it's not like a black or white, like positive, negative. But the, the thing is with Rebocho as well is that he got a lot of assists for uh, Gangon last season too. I think he got 12 assists um, and six or so of those were from set pieces, but six were from open play. Mm-hmm. So, Rebocho is someone who has a good cross in him, but we haven't really seen that yet because I think with Janner there, he's automatically going to trump trump that and he's going to be the one that people are going to look for and give the ball to and and want him to put it in. But I think Rebocho could... I mean, he still has to show it. Is he really a good crosser? We still have to see it with our own eyes. But I think this is a good opportunity for him. And I'm very curious to see who is going to start on the left wing. Is it going to be Jermaine Lenz? Is it going to be Diaby? Is it going to be Tyler Boyd? Is yeah. it going to be Leitch? I'd be very intrigued with uh, starting Diaby uh, behind Umut Nair again and then have Leitch start on the left wing. I would be very intrigued by well, that. Well, two weeks in a uh, row, we've seen Diaby in that role. So it seems and and positive results as well at least not negative ones so um you know it 
seems like Diaby has found his role. And it's good, actually, because I feel like committing to Diaby being in that spot behind a striker is also then committing to having that spot exist, which is a much better spot to be putting Guven Yalcin in as a substitute or whatever than on the wing or as a sole striker. He's clearly not going to cut it in either of those roles. He's shown that much. So that's a positive. Um, and while we're on positives and trends, I think, you know, and also on the topic of Lobosho, I think we've got to say, and I said it, I alluded to it briefly, this is now two weeks in a row of, of Lobosho being very solid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was one of the best men on the pitch, I felt. Yeah, so uh, it just it needs to be said. Like, this guy has really put together solid performances two weeks in a row. Um, we were all, I think, kind of concerned about the fact that it seemed like it was a struggle to get him into the lineup and get him minutes at first because John Aaron John is actually, he came out, uh, came into the season playing pretty well, and he's definitely yeah. not been, he's had like a couple of bad games where we've called him out, but. I mean, he's generally been hard to displace I, for the most part. I feel like he is always such an easy target and he's one of the first players that people immediately go after. Uh, I think what people forget, like, for example, he got blamed for the second goal uh, Wolf score, mm, Braga scored. He got blamed for the second goal Braga scored. Well, first and foremost, that was offside. Yeah, and second, that was after a sub that we had made um, in which uh, I think Nejib went off. And who did we put on for Nejib, uh, an offensive player? Might have been Umut Nair. Uh, so Rebocho moved familiar, to right, yeah. moved to the right side, and and we we shifted from a yeah, from yeah, a four that, three yeah. three to like a three five two, yeah. in which Janer was playing as left wing back and Rebocho was playing as right wing back. So basically, Janer had the entire left wing to go down. So like a hundred meters, he has to run up and down. Mm -hmm. And that was like in the 80th minute when he was probably already kind of gassed. And then people are blaming him for a goal that was offside. I just feel like Janner is always going to be one of those guys that people are all always going to be pointing to. Well, so you know um, what it is too, though? It's because he's older. Uh, he's been around the block. He came from a rival. So I feel like when it's like, f who's first up? You know, who's the, the low-hanging yeah. fruit? It's just that reputation he has of being a bad defender, but I feel like this season he has played a lot of really good games as a left back, as a defender. I think Obviously, he just represents low-hanging fruit for our fans, you know? It's like easy, because you know he's on his way out ultimately, just because he's older and anyway, yeah, so I feel like... I mean, like, he's, he's not even that old yet, he's he's 31. I know, I know, uh, and that's so, partially to the... Like, he's, the longevity of his career is pretty astounding, because he's been... Uh, he he came out of that sort of famous under Turkey under nineteen squad, right? He was the captain under of that 17. team, under seventeen squad that won the cup. There, he was the captain of that Euros. squad. Our Euros, whatever it was. Yeah. And under uh, yeah, you know, so he's he's really been in the spotlight for like almost two decades. So it's pretty astounding. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's easy to add a few years onto his into your perception of how well, old he is just because of how me, long he's been I'm around. Just, I think uh, coming out of last season, we were all kind of, uh, we were all kind of uh, considering the the, the 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 chance that well maybe that's um, was it a Achilles injury he had in his second year with us, maybe that really took something out of him and maybe that just meant you know shortened his career, and 
honestly, with this performance so far this season, I'm I've been very happy uh, because I'm hopeful that he's going to be around for one or two more years as a backup. Yeah, I, I, he's gonna he's that bridge, right? He's bridging. You need you need Turks, you need Turkish players. Yeah, that's right. Even if if they don't amend the the foreigner rule, which just this uh, week, which news news flash. Which, that's what yeah, I which to they're talk about. still talking about. Just this week, there was news that uh, who was it that came out and said they were going to try to reduce uh, Nihat Özdemir, the president of the Turkish Football Federation. But the, he can say what he wants if the clubs don't agree, then it's not going to happen. But we'll have to wait and see. They've been trying to push this for a while, but with the success of the national team. I think that if they really want to make a serious play for this, then it needs to be in a down period. Although, of course, the the, the lack of success of the Turkish teams in Europe might be something that they can use. Yeah, but, but how is it going to be better yeah, with it, less talent from abroad? You not, know? To me, not, like this is how you know you're wrong. When you have Besiktas, Galatasaray... Fenerbahce, Bursaspor, like when you have a ton of fans against you who just know you're wrong, like because they've seen the product, like I, you should just give up basically. Because <laughs> to, to, to get those kinds of disparate groups to unite over something means you're done. You're done. Yeah, sorry, I'm going to have to beat myself, but um, just, you know, it, it, I, you're not. <laughs> It's not gonna. You're not gonna win that ultimately because it, it's just so obvious to me. And what's what's really insane is like you and I are not even that old relative to these jerks in the TFF, but like we're old enough to have seen the age where Besiktas or Besiktas, sorry, where the Turkish national team was basically the equivalent of like the Faroe Islands on the on the European side of things, where they were getting beaten seven nil, eight nil, like when we were kids. So we've seen the evolution that. of the whole us. Oh, so maybe I'm I'm just old enough. Uh, I'm about seven years older than you, so I but I I remember that. So to have uh, reached this, these heights in just my lifetime, as in and basically right, like the, if you put it on a chart, as the restrictions have decreased the success has increased like it's a perfect like graph yeah. chart you know and and, and so, look at I, the national team the current national turkish national team um most of the players in the past we were always looking for german turks and the german turks were always pivotal in the success of the national team if you look at this generation of the turkish national team most of these guys aren't even gurbeci exactly cuz look at charles soyuncu uh, Meri Demiral. Cengiz Ünder. Cengiz I mean. Ünder. Um, Yusuf Yazıcı. I mean, you know, all those guys are born in Turkey and they were afforded the opportunity to go abroad to a top five league and develop themselves because there's no more foreign limits. Because and like, now... You know what I want to quickly do here? I want to tip my cap to Altin Ordu, you know, who mm -hmm. set about developing an academy the right way I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, and they've literally come through on their word. The sad thing is that it hasn't, uh, it hasn't resulted in any in much success on the pitch for them. Yeah, but I don't think that's their that's their goal as a club. No, I know, but it, it'd be like it'd be good if we had a model of success that all. Yeah, like, yeah I know. What you mean. know what I'm saying? Like, I, I wish that. So, so that's the bigger clubs could exactly, copy that. Exactly. Exactly. I wish it was a model for Besiktas and. 
Or I don't even want to give that to our rivals. I'd rather they keep stinking <laughs> in that regard, I guess. But uh, yeah, at least for, for, you know, I'd like an Izmir team, for example, to pick up that model. We really need a good Izmir team. Well, Altinor Dual and Izmir team. Yeah, but that, that's also <laughs> successful, right? Uh, I'm looking but, uh, at you, we're getting a little off track here. So yeah, you know? way off track. Yes. All right. Anyway, um, let's so let's let's fully refocus and talk about this match specifically. Um, I'm going to slide into the old format just as a means of sort of figuring out what to talk about. Who, I mean, for you, who's your man of the match here? Like, who stood out for you? Because we've talked about how good Robocho was. Uh, we've Robocho not yet talked really about. Good. We've not yet talked about the fact. I'm not going to say Enjoroko was a man of the match, but now he he's played decent. fairly well for two matches. He's yeah. at, at the very least proven he didn't need to be. He had one know, slip up, I think, against Feguli that could have cost us. Yeah, early, right? I missed that. It was early in the match. But um, uh, at least he's proven he didn't need to be sequestered deep in the bench for the last, you know, by Shenol Gunev. El Nini and, and Atiba worked really well together, but. This is, of course, against a team, against Galtzrai, that didn't just come to defend. Mm -hmm. I don't know how that's going to function against a team that's going to park the bus. Yeah, it's but, maybe a little too defensive. There's not enough but uh, here forward really, play. But here it worked two. really well. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, no I think the thing with, with Atiba Elneny, what it does uh, allow you is that your whoever's playing in the attacking midfielder role is afforded a lot more... Um, Freedom, so I think that Elneny Atiba Laich is definitely something that Avicii needs to put some serious thought into, into trying and just letting Laich loose offensively, maybe give him less defensive du duties, let him drop, you know, let him play closer to the striker, more up the field, and, and maybe that will get the best out of him, because we need to tap into that quality of light. And that's one of the things that I think that, I don't know yeah, if I mean, people puts, really... I guess with both of those defense midfielders there, it certainly puts an emphasis on the attacking yeah. midfielder. But when he came in, it's not like he did massive stuff, but he did immediately find that ball and put set up Janner for the cross. And yeah. obviously Janner is the one who gets the assist. Well, and and it was a Sorry, just uh, before we move to Lijic's performance and we move away from El Neni and Atiba, I would briefly just like to say that through, I mean, throughout the first 91 episodes of this podcast, I think one of the most recurring and annoying habits of Besiktas that we've seen and documented is the, the, the ability for guys in the center of our midfield to ghost. And one mm -hmm. thing that you're guaranteed, guaranteed, damn teed with those two guys like 10,000% is that you're not going to there's not going to be a single ghost in that midfield the two of them are yeah. uh full you're not going to get a, a tall guy or a Durokan or, an no, Oshan, or even a little yeah. not even a friendly a Casper ghost you know like uh where they they assert themselves here and there like an Ozan or whatever no like these two are everywhere where you know they're, they're asserting they, they want to be in the frame at all mm -hmm. times like so so that was definite uh, and like, yes, I think if you can guarantee that in the back of your midfield and something going on in the front of your midfield vis-a-vis -vis Adem Lijic, uh, ideally, because we know what he's capable of, I feel like that's kind of the balance you need, even if you don't have a central midfielder, because uh, Lijic, Lijic has the definite creative ability to 
maybe compensate in that regard. You know, as long as you can guarantee that you've got that motor in the back of the midfield that's not letting anything up carelessly. Um, Vida was good too. Had some really good interceptions, some crucial tackles that prevented Galtzfeier from getting dangerous um, in the box, around the box. He was really good. Yeah, I mean, and uh, like he's. It's, it seems like a trend where he starts seasons a little rusty, but mm -hmm. sort of slides into them eventually and really settles. He's, he's oh, definitely yeah. reached that point it's, of settling. It, I think it's so funny how our fans, after a couple, you know, because in the beginning of the season, he, I don't know what it was last season, and this season he had like that red card against Gaziantep. Last season he had a bad start too, and then you immediately, oh, we should have sold him and blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah, and then exactly. once once the season gets going a little bit and he starts playing well, and then whenever the next transfer period comes, oh, no, we can't sell him. No, no. Oh, How could we possibly survive without him? Uh, Oh my god, no, not, not Fida, he's the last person we should sell. And then as soon as he plays a bad game, it's a, uh, it's always, Oh my god, I can't believe we didn't sell him. Oh. I was proud of myself for getting a Vida shirt this year, because it's one of those, like, under the radar, you know, uh, he, he is a rock, and like, whether you want to give him grief for bad spells, especially, I mean, when it's such a clear trend, like, obviously the guy's coming into season a little rusty, which is kind of like, the normal human thing to do like everyone starts work a little groggily when they come in from a long break or vacation or whatever like it's, it's i don't know it's it's somewhat human so uh, as long as you know what you're going to get for like 90% of the season i feel like we should just calm down until he shows <laughs> that he's definitely not going to turn the corner or whatever but um, I, I really like fida he's like he reminds me of sivok yeah he's, i was, he's a, I was hard, a huge yeah, fan of sivok for sure, that's a good. Comment. So I love uh, I love Fidesz. I think he's a great player, and I think people should uh, lay off him a little bit because he's one of our most consistent players. Yeah, well, and so the the as far as Rocco goes alongside him, I feel like we know that we have a third central defender. Obviously, Ruiz is still our uh, mm -hmm. option ahead of him, but it's good to yeah, know that maybe like we're not guaranteed to see Nejip play whenever <laughs> one of the other guys isn't available um finally we're getting a little bit of a return on investment on, on yeah the exactly and that's uh, the main thing right you said that i think um and yeah because i mean he was a free transfer but we're still paying him 1.2 a year or something like that and i just feel like with 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 channel which i often felt like you know with like for example a like kyle Aaron. Where, okay, maybe this guy isn't Besiktas material, but you should still be able to sell him at a profit if you, let's let's say, you, you loan him out and he has a good spell. I think a guy like Enzo Rocco is the type of player that when you are out one of your two central regular central defenders and you do play this guy and you do allow him to put in a couple of performances look if he if he let's say he plays 10 more matches this season and he he replicates these types of performances and you still at the end of the season come to the conclusion of okay well he's not really good enough and he's earning too much money he's not good enough to be a starter he's too good to be on the bench and he's earning too much to be on the bench let's sell this guy and maybe if he puts in performances like this like against Braga like against Galtz right then at the end of the season maybe you're gonna get a Trabzonspor who's like yeah, hey exactly. you know what that Roko well, we might take him off your hands and at least give you, start you a to, change you start to give someone the material to develop a little highlight reel for him you know what I mean like you need yeah and I I think when you get 
a 25, 26 year old player who's on, who's already playing for his national side on mm -hmm. a free transfer. It's almost yeah. a uh, requisite that you give him the bare minimum times so that at the very least you can make some money off of that. Because what a what a thing to luck upon, you know, a guy who's on a decent national side, no less. Chile just won the South American Cup with him on their side. I think yeah, back to back, reserve, uh, maybe, but nonetheless. Copa Americas. So I I feel like uh, if you that yeah, it's it's not even a return on investment. It's free money. You know, you're really. Uh, giving away free money by not trying to maximize that to some extent. But but he's not one of those guys that became victim of not instantly performing great. Yeah, which is a and, Chanel and, and trait. Uh, we have not, no, it's not just a Chanel thing. It's like a Turkish thing in general and a, yeah, and a Bishtesh so. fandom thing. I think that the pressure on, on players by our fans and, and the media and all that, if a player doesn't come in and straight away hits the ball at the park, they're immediately written off as not good enough. And I think players may not be the epitome of what you're looking for in a player but they can still be serviceable i think enzo rocco is an example of a player that can be serviceable despite maybe not being of the caliber that you aspire to right. you know the caliber of a domagoy vida a marcelo uh, mind you marcelo wasn't didn't fit that profile either when we initially got him or Tosic, remember Tosic struggled yeah everyone was, was saying about Marcelo this guy isn't good enough every he's he's a laughing stock in, in 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 Holland he was laughing stock in Holland and he's at the relegation side in the Bundesliga and this and this they and did that, that to uh, Isimat uh, as well who they I did it to everyone Isimat Mirin is the same same way as Enzo Rocco is is a player that could have been perfectly serviceable. I think a player that we could have really used up until now this season yeah, with the injuries that we have had. I think Mirin was a was an okay serviceable player. I'm not saying he was a Marcelo. I'm not saying he's a Vida. He's nowhere near that level, but he was decent, good physically, good in the air okay with the ball at his feet not great but okay serviceable he's an innocent, another one of those players that had like one or two poor performances or maybe not even that bad but like for example the 3-3 against Fenerbahce which we talked about earlier there were a couple of players that were picked out singled out there as the, as the scapes go but if you're 3-0 up at halftime and you give it away in, in the second half you can't point to two or three players who are to blame as the entire team that uh, collapsed and that's that that that, that is the fact yeah. so yeah no that's just the thing i we have such a toxic fan yeah and media outrage yeah and no i, I know all, exactly all of it and i i hope that that, that with the new president now with amit nurchebi um that there's gonna be a breath of fresh air through the club and that people are gonna hopefully get a little bit more patient and chill the f out a little bit uh and and yeah you know, we'll have to wait and see. But I mean, I think that if you look at our squad and if you don't have all these injuries that we have had this season, I, d I don't think people are really standing still at the fact of how heavily we've been impacted by injuries because we haven't had any traumatic uh, and knock on wood, we won't. But we haven't had a, a, an Abdul Qadir Umur being out for six months with, an, with a meniscus injury. We haven't had that terrible injury 
blow of a, of a potentially career-threatening injury to one of our key oh, players. So people, you think that's why but, people minimize what we have had, kind of? Yeah, I think people minimize For it because sure. all the injuries that we are and having especially, are small things. I mean, and the main reason why this is so impactful is because we have so many new guys who are not being given the opportunities to settle into an actual yep. rotation alongside pieces yep. that they're playing with every week, week in, week out, yep. developing a rapport. And then you're picking on guys and calling them trash because in the one yeah. game they do get after two weeks out from an injury or whatever, or playing alongside a new guy every other week, you're trashing them because they don't look fluid in that system. I mean, how? <laughs> I mean, it's almost. I'm just physically nodding along with everything you're saying. You know, I mean, how do you expect Diaby to partner up with his with with Guven or with Umut or with Burak, Burak or, or with exactly. with all these different players that he's played with in an actual 90-minute match like once and I think we've seen positive things of Diaby I think he you know he's one of those players that have, from the minute he stepped in the club it's like ah oh, what is this this guy is is he a winger is he a striker oh he's not good enough and then he missed that opportunity against Ankara Gidjou and people were See, that's the thing. You know, yeah, he's that, crucifying that him one because moment one is gonna moment. Define, unless yep. something happens right like and, and you can then, see him being called a failure and being, you know, we got to sell this guy and replace him like ASAP because people are associating him with that one moment, just like with uh, and let me in with that one half against Fener. But look how how Galtrai struggled with with coping with Diaby. They they could not contain him properly. He was a he was a handful for them. And if if Umut was and imagine with that, if, imagine Unkudu on the other side, like ah, uh, it could have been. Yeah, I think the thing with Diaby. What we need to keep in mind as well, Diaby has been played out of position the entire time. By she's constantly being played on the wing. Even uh, like this was the first time where he was in a more central role, and where we we immediately after thirty seconds we immediately started seeing stuff of what he was capable of. Yeah. And I think I just really want to see Diaby get an opportunity as a second striker or even as a lone striker. We haven't even seen that yet. Yeah. I mean, he he doesn't have the the physical. Um, stature. He's not. He's not like a 185, 86, 87 tall or anything like that. He's he's a relatively small guy, but he's done that before. He used to play as a lone striker for Brugge in his first season, and then he had the second season. He was like had a lot of injuries, but in the in the third season, he played as a second striker, which was his best season for Brugge, where he played alongside uh, Wesley. I think Wesley plays for uh, Aston Villa now or something, which is like a target man forward, and that that's something that goes really well for Diaby. But I think well, and look, Umut for- Nair scored two weeks in a row with someone playing behind him. Diaby, uh, the second match, I think. Why not, man? If it's working, if it if it ain't broke, don't don't fix it. You know, uh, roll with that again. And, and fine, if if uh, if Burak is healthy, yeah. then play him as the as the target man up front with Yabi behind. But again, like it it makes Guven look like less of a jerk, honestly, on the pitch because mm. like when he comes in, he can like I everything works better with that it, with with someone playing in that role with this current lineup. And of course, what that means is that we're either bringing Lijic in as a winger or kind of alternating with that. Yeah, that's why I'm, like I said, I'm a little intrigued with with, with Lijic on the left and Diaby behind the striker. But you know what? This season has kind of been so far, you know, where when you're making a puzzle, like an actual physical puzzle, and you have like these pieces that seem like they could probably fit, but they don't really fit. And you're kind of like, 
forcing that there, mm -hmm. despite it not fitting. But it, when you force it hard enough, it'll it'll stick together. You know, that's kind of what we've been doing so far yeah, this season. Yeah. And then people start writing off players because they're not, it's not functioning properly. And I think, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, and I think that is the perfect way to look at Diaby at the moment. I think he is a quality player. I'm not saying that he's a. I'm not saying he's a world beater, but I think he has quality to him. I think he's above average in our league, and I think if you give him the right environment, and he will perform. And I think that you know we said uh, his miss against Ankaragücü people were going very were getting really harsh on him. It wasn't that easy for him to score that as you would might think. Um, and and the thing is, I think he played a good game against Galatasaray, but I think there were also other players that that uh, like I think Janer at left wing was disappointing despite giving the assist. I, I thought Lenz was disappointing. Um, surprisingly, Nijip had a decent game. Yeah, he did. Um, uh, Nijip, no wait, not Nijip. What am I saying? Nijip came in as a sub and he almost fucked us. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. no, no uh, You're thinking about? Um, no, 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 I was thinking of the Braga game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no. I, and then Gökhan Gunnel, I felt like the first half he really struggled with, with Babel and uh, our, our friend Uzjan, um, who's been on the podcast a few times, he felt like, he said literally that that that, that he felt that Gökhan had him in his pocket. And I think that in the second half, Gökhan did, really, did a great job at neutralizing Babel until he went off injured. Uh, Gokhan did, of course. Um, but in the first half, I really felt like he struggled with him. And, and Uzja made a really good point in that he did not allow Babel to cut in to look for a shot. But he did still allow him to cross time and time again. And I felt like he was allowed to put in like three or four semi-dangerous crosses. And Yeah, I agreed with you. I, you, yeah. I don't think you can call that being in his someone's pocket. No. When he got like that's kind of his game. That's what he wants to do. He wants to be able to Yeah, I mean maybe Ozan doesn't like his game. That's another story, but there were a couple of crosses where I really was kinda like squinching my butt butt cheeks together where Andona was in the center and yeah, yeah. I think Vida Vida was just so dominant and Vida had Andona in his pockets. That is actually something you can say. Um, side note, side note on Galatasaray. Uh, Andone seems far more dangerous than Falcao has been. Well, Falcao has barely played. So, but true, Andone, true. I think Andone is a typical hardworking, serviceable striker. I think if we would have had Andone this season w w instead of Guven, I think we would probably have some more points right now. Yeah, uh, we'd probably but, be in like fourth place at least. Well, you know what? I mean, honestly, I think if we didn't have all these injuries, despite the fact that we still haven't played great football and all that, I think if we didn't didn't have all these injuries from the beginning of the season, I think we were no probably doubt, yeah. near the top of the table right now without even playing really well. But, just because of the form of everyone else, yeah. It's just I, I think season. the... I just think that's the amount of injuries we have had and, 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 and how poorly they have been timed. And I think people really underestimate the impact that has had. And that is also why, you know, I think there's stuff where you... Afci has definitely at this point deserved criticism for decisions he has made. Just his but, subs. My whole thing is just his subs. Yeah, been kind of but you need to keep in mind he's kind of like a cornered dog right now. Or like yeah. a, a, a wounded animal, a cornered wounded animal right now, and those you know those, those those things are gonna do weird stuff because he's been. You know what, man? I'm gonna take. I'm gonna go further than you. <clears throat> I'm gonna. I'm gonna like. Uh, I'm gonna kind of go further out out on a limb here and say, 
even with the injuries. God, I, don't, I was going to say these results are still acceptable. No, they're, they're not acceptable. Uh, they're clearly not acceptable, but... They're masked by how... how it's like a worst-case yeah. scenario for a rebuild. But the fact of the matter is, this is a rebuild. And as far as rebuilds go, it's not like a terrible rebuild. We're not... I mean, we, we could be doing worse, I guess. You know, it was what I mean to say. We clearly have talent and new talent and younger talent that's starting to settle. Uh, a lot of the pieces we've brought in have shown either flashes of good play or are now starting to consecutively play well in a few matches. Uh, like in the case of El Neni, for example. And I don't know if he's a long-term buy anyway because of his price tag. I really don't quite get that. I'm assuming there's going to be some negotiating done if they have interest in it, but I, well, we'll whatever. see. I think it all depends a little bit on the player as well. And yeah, I see who the else. Kagawa thing. I think it's a Kagawa scenario where, like, if he loves it and presses for the move, they could probably yeah, lower the price pl tag. Plus, I mean, I think what they are probably kind of hoping for Arsenal are um, that maybe in a Premier League club will be, oh, you know what, he did pretty well in Turkey. But I think that's where also, if, if we have a under-the-radar season, that's going to be in our going to be advantageous for us in the negotiation uh, exactly. position for for Eleni if he wants to stay which yeah, he, if he may wants not. to see out like European if, if we can get in the Champions but, League but that's also another thing you know uh, we, we spoke about the injuries but also like the the the, the suspension for Eleni missing him for three matches yeah, while he was, huge uh, yeah he was an important part for for our uh for our midfield and our, our, our building up our, our new midfield. And then, of course, we also had the Dorkan injury. We finally, you know, Dorkan started to play some really, he finally playing found really role. well. Uh, I really like him at right back. I, I really pref I prefer him at right back. Um, I, I don't really, I'm not a big fan of Dorkan in midfield for us. Uh, for the national team, he always plays well uh, in midfield, but it's different, I guess. But for us, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of him at, at, in midfield, but at so right back... The problem back, is, I, I feel yeah. like if you're playing with two central midfielders uh, and you need one of them to be... right, If your defense is so solid that you can do that and then you want one of your central midfielders to be more of a ball winner, then you can have a Dorokan. But I don't think we have had the ability to play with two central midfielders ever. We've always played Dorokan with another defensive midfielder, which... It's like doubling up, and and then you don't really have a yeah. I find Dover kind of really difficult player to even describe. What is he? I mean, you say ball winner, but I don't really see him as that either. Um, I mean, I think no, no. I just mean you need as a manager, right? You have to play him in the slot as a ball winning midfielder, and then he's gonna do his thing, kind of. But I, I just mean that you need to not. Be relying on him in some you know like when 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 we're playing him alongside a defensive midfielder we're kind of relying on his offensive ability which shows up sometimes no doubt we've seen him take those like wild shots from 25 yards out that are mm -hmm. perfect you know but then we've also seen him kind of ghost in that role a bit so yeah it, it, it can't be relied on for that is but at right back i felt like always when he's playing there that he's so solid and, and yeah. reliable and yeah. Yeah, I really like he him there. He needs a defined like zone of the pitch, maybe, right? I think he gets that as a right back. Yeah, and whatever it is, it was working, and it was a damn shame that we lost him. Yeah. But no, I mean everything you've said. I've yeah. I mean 
the main factor here is that we've had all of these guys coming in and out of the lineup, which has not helped anyone settle, <laughs> uh, considering that we have all these new pieces, especially in those pivotal roles in attack on the And wing. Boyd disappeared again. <sighs> yeah. Why is he? I did. I, I thought he was good against Braga. What? What's? What? Why? Why? Why was he not featured at all against Galatasaray? I wonder. That's one of I those don't. things that I really don't understand. Avci. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, sort of a. It's traces of Shen. And you're not gonna get. You're not gonna get an outcry from fans either because fans are like, "Oh, he's not good enough." But. Exactly. What do we don't know. I, what, yeah, what do you expect uh, when the kid is barely allowed to get consecutive minutes in because he's like he's really his appearances are sporadic and how is he supposed to build up confidence and 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 all that when he when his appearances are this sporadic? I yeah, I hope tomorrow against Antalya Spor with Chaner being suspended with Nkudu not being part of the team um, to him, due yeah. to injury. I hope. Boyd gets another opportunity. I would really like to see um, either Leitch, but more likely Lenz will start on the left, and then just start uh, either Leitch or Diaby behind the striker and uh, start Boyd on the right, but I think Boyd will be on the bench. Uh, yeah. It seems like it's guaranteed. Yeah, I mean, what sucks is that the fan base are so blindly... Like, you know, you get certain loud factions of the fan base saying something and then they all jump on board and it's like there's not really even any room for anyone to defend Boyd anymore when when these conversations start online for example or you know it, it kind of feels like it was starting to feel with Carius last season yeah where it was like you can't even defend the guy because it's just coming from all angles and where's and all those suddenly, like, haters now, at right now by yeah the way, when, where you are now uh, exactly. i mean that's just the thing like people jump on him as soon as something even if something happens where he has no no blame uh you know it's oh yeah like oh the difference between galtoroy and bishiktas is muslera <laughs> <laughs> so now that we've beaten them what's the difference yeah what's the difference team? now then what if falcao <laughs> 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 exactly um but so and and so there's another topic for that match is Carius was solid again yep. he's he's put together a good run of games and he's starting <coughs> one interesting fact is now that things are going kind of well for him his online presence his social media presence is starting to be positive right like he's he's the one who's like after a negative performance from some of the team he'll he'll sort of be like it's okay we're gonna get them next time like he seems to be playing more of a vocal role uh, as far as backing the team, being outspoken, you know, um, supporting things when they're down, but then also kind of getting things going when they're up, which has been only recently applied. But uh, yeah, you know, it's good to see. I don't know what it spells as far as like what we're doing at the end of the season. I still think he's too I expensive. Think, I, I think he made up his own mind already. I don't think he is willing to stay. That's the vibe I'm getting from what he said towards... About the Liverpool thing, right? Yeah, I think he's still talking about having another go at Liverpool. And he was also talking about moving on to another team in, in the Premier League or in the Bundesliga. So I, I don't think that he sees his future at Besiktas. Um, yeah, and you know what? I mean, like I think if he can have a good season with us now, and uh, I don't mind. I think he was a good 
two-year fix for us, uh, an opportunity for him to regain his confidence, which wasn't easy, and uh, which still isn't easy. But he he's on the path right now. I think you know. I think apart from that Slovan Bratislava match this season, and uh, he's I think he's played in nine matches. Uh, so one out of nine, he was poor. He was really bad against Bratislava. But I think in the other eight or so games that he's played, he was very good uh, and, and yeah. here against Galtzer it's not like he had a lot of work uh, I don't really know I think he made like I don't know how many saves he made like one or two I think but the thing that I really liked about him is that he um, when you needed him to pluck a ball uh, he was there exactly. without hesitation yeah. he's controlling the box it. more yeah he was you feel like he's a real leader of that unit yeah plus his uh he launched some really good counter-attacking opportunities, which yep. we didn't do all that much with. But it, but his his his, uh, his throws were quick and accurate. Yeah, he was he, very engaged. Yeah, and sure. I think if you have an Nkudu, uh, if you have a full team, a Burak and Nkudu available, um, where you have more uh, players that are able to exploit those counter-attacking opportunities, if then you throw in Karius being on the top of his game with that distribution, I think you're going to get a couple of goals uh, a season like exactly. that if, if you have a yeah. goal on top it's of his game. It's a shame, like in fact, right? If we were in better form last season, I feel like we could really start seeing that be utilized, and, and the whole narrative on Karius would be totally different. And then if we could then obviously... That uh, that, that's season. the thing. He's he's kind of been dragged down with the ship, uh, and and the the narrative that they've spun is that he's part of the problem. While I I think if you make I think I said this last week, if you make a checklist of ten things uh, of what are Bishkvich's biggest problems, he's not even on that list. Uh, I think he's one of the last things you look at because he's a solid goalkeeper. I'm not saying that he's world class or anything. I'm not saying that he's as good as Muslera is for Gal. I mean, if you look at thing, Muslera for Galt's right. He's been their MVP for as long as he's been there pretty much except for maybe his first season when he wasn't amazing but look at even this season how many important uh, saves he has made uh, and and then there I, I mean I understand when people say look the difference between Bishter and Galtzright is Muglera I I get why they're saying that is because Muslera is that good, but I think that this credits Karius because he he hasn't been at fault. Besiktas, the matches Besiktas have lost this season in the league. I'm not talking about Europe right now because Bratislava, yeah, well, obviously. Whole... But in the league, Besiktas have not dropped points because of Karius. No, they no, and, have... and the the thing is that that what I feel like has set the narrative is that because Besiktas's results haven't been so positive, it's mm -hmm. enabled. The people who are looking to sort of spin that narrative of Karius yes, and the failure are from Liverpool. So many people looking yeah, to yeah. do that. I don't know why. I don't know what Karius did. I I think Karius must be must be a dog or something that sleeps with everyone's girlfriend or sister because so many people seem to <laughs> Especially have. Especially in Liverpool, like, it must guy. have really gotten around in Liverpool. I don't know, but even in Turkey, the the Turkish media jump on it too. And yeah, well, um, I mean, I feel like they're going for those Liverpool clicks. The people who are looking for that bad news yeah, who are starting. Maybe. It all, you know, Maybe. it's like it's like there's a it's it's like a culture of making fun of him in the in the media. It's unfortunate. Yeah, it really is. And then uh, I think one of those things is where where he has had some really good, like some. I think for example against Gaziantep, he he had like three or four, one hundred percent goal scoring opportunities that he he saved, but because we lose three two, nobody's talking about that. Yeah, because we lose that match. And that's happened a couple of times this season where he's just played a really good game, but we don't win, so he doesn't get credit, yeah. even though he had a solid game. And and that's one of those things, you know, uh, 
I don't know why Mislera does get credit even when they don't win. I guess because he's been around for so long and he does make some amazing saves sometimes. No doubt. Mislera. I mean, yeah, I, mean, I don't want to discredit him. It's just I don't I mean, feel like he's a weapon against think, Paris, you know. I think weird... that in in the modern Turkish football era, I think I don't know if there's anyone better than Muslera. I think he must be the number one goalkeeper of the modern... Like, and modern, I mean, like, the last 25, 30 years of Turkish football. Maybe maybe Tafarel, I don't know. But so, I, I mean, look, we can definitely say the best keepers in Turkish footballing history are South American. And it's, like, Tafarel, Cordoba, um, obviously, Muslera. Panko. Uh, who is the, the other... Colombian keeper. It's a joke, by the way. Mondragon. Yeah. Mondragon, yeah, exactly. Right, like, um, so like, there's a culture of of uh, South American keepers thriving in Turkey, which is interesting. Um, and Musleta is just the latest yeah. in that regard. I, but, I uh, either yeah. South Americans or or Turkish, you know, with uh, with Volkan Rüştü. Exactly. Uh, before that, Engin, I guess. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Uh, or. Uh, there are some big names I'm forgetting from like back back in the day, but yeah. Anyway, the point point being that um, you know, Karius has a rep that's been sullied by things that are out of his control. Yeah. But he, he's played yeah, well. The rest again. of his career is gonna be uphill. He's always gonna have to prove people wrong. Mm-hmm. That's that's, that's just <laughs> that's just unfortunately Karius's career. I think he's always gonna have to do more than another goalkeeper will have to. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, I, I think he's a solid goalkeeper. Uh, I, I, and uh, if he performance. ends up going for... I hope he has a good season with us still. And uh, hopefully we can qualify for Europe next season and, and set up a team for next season. Uh, and, 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 yeah, hopefully Karius goes on and finds himself a good club if he does end up moving on and uh, where he can play without getting constantly scrutinized. And what I don't want is, is for Besiktas fans to turn against him after he leaves when he does, if he does. Uh, because at the end of the day, the more success he has, the better it looks for all of us, right? How like, funny would it be if uh, uh, Besiktas somehow managed to do this miraculous comeback, win the title, Karius plays an amazing season, and then everyone's like, oh no, Karius, come back, come back, for the next five years, like like with uh, Marcelo and with, Fabri uh, even, right? with Fabri, even, right? With Fabri and Mario, Mario Gomez, Talishka. Exactly. Uh, I, I almost hope happen, it happens, but... just because like, <laughs> we've, we've been trumpeting his decency the whole time while people have been trying But anyway, I think... We, we've carried on for a while here. It's late night for you, Khan. So I don't want to keep you up much longer. But so let's let's wrap this thing up. Obviously, we've got the Antalya Sport match tomorrow. Uh, so this episode mm-hmm. will drop probably before right it. Before. You know, right before. But definitely before. Maybe maybe tonight on, on, on this side. So maybe not necessarily right before. But for those of you guys who are waking up, it'll be same day. Um, yeah. Uh... Wrapping up thoughts on this big match against Galatasaray, Khan. We've talked about how there's a new hope on the horizon. Uh, you want to build on that theme? Like, I, I think that uh, for now we shouldn't be uh, we shouldn't be too hopeful. To yeah, I think that 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 this could be a misleading win. I think this was a match, as we said last week. This is a, te- a match between two teams who are in really bad form. 
uh, and it's gonna be kind of to see who's the shittiest. Uh, so I think you know uh, the, the next couple of weeks will just have to show us whether we have something to be positive about or, or not. Uh, it's great always to win in a derby, of course, uh, but at the end of the day, if you win against Galtry and then you you lose or you can't win in Antalya, and then you you know the next three four league games are gonna be just as important. Uh, we have to get uh, ten points or so for our next four league games if we want to be anywhere uh, significant this season. If we want to be relevant this season we have to get 10 or so points from the next uh, potential 12 yeah yeah and so given our, our yeah, <laughs> and, and given our, our our form on the road uh, that's gonna be a very tall order yeah it's hard to see it as anything else but so i mean look stay tuned guys uh there is something to be paying attention for now at the very least uh and i and i, I mean personally i feel like I have enough faith in Abdullah Avci to think that he knows the significance of where he is right now with the club and how precarious his position is, firstly. Oh, yeah. And secondly, you know, how important these results will be in the coming weeks. So hopefully There's we eight see... games left, right? So yeah, for the, eight for games. The how many points is that? That's twenty-four points. So from the potential twenty-four points that are still left, I think he needs to get at least fifteen. I would even say eighteen, maybe. I t- yeah, maybe, but it's I think not so realistic. But I think he needs to bar- do well. Fifteen is the probably the bare minimum from the next eight games for him to salvage his job and for him to be allowed to go into the second half of the season. I think if we get another. Uh, 12 points i think that'll not suffice but it all depends a little bit you know how do you yeah, do in the and, how everyone else does, and, sure. and how does everyone else uh, do i mean look if we get 15 points we would te- theoretically be on on se- 27 uh which is one better than next last season's uh wow. halftime mark uh but I mean, so that yeah. means you can't really fire him if that's the case well i hadn't considered <laughs> that uh, I mean, you. I mean, whatever. You could. It, obviously, again, it's going to depend on the context. It's going to depend on where everyone else is in the league, etc. Um. Yeah, everybody. Uh, Antalya Square, 1 p.m. here in New York City. So I'm thinking that's like 8 p.m. Six, six, six for you. So it's in eight Istanbul, in Turkey. It's eight eight PM, in yeah. Turkey, but with the, the changes of the daylight saving times or whatever, uh, the difference now uh, is two hours between Central two. European time and Turkey. So uh, the match is at eight local time and six Central European time, so five in the UK. Um, so yeah, let's hope. Uh, yeah. For, for, for us here, it's a nice like uh, lunchtime game. So, like sometimes the games are on so early you can't even like have a beer with the game because it's like you know like 9 a.m. <laughs> it's weird to, to be drinking at 9 a.m. Obviously, but uh, I should be able to enjoy a beer with tomorrow's match, which is a nice welcome thing. Um, yeah, man, stay tuned, everyone. And we'll be back next week, Friday, of course, That's with right. uh, two uh, games. Follow us on Twitter. You want to say a word about that, Khan? Yeah, just follow us at Besiktas underscore int or at Eagles underscore podcast. You can follow uh, Sinan at Sir underscore rights underscore a lot. You can follow me at Rosarian, R-A-Z-Z-E-R-I-A-N on Twitter. And that's uh, pretty much it. Except for one thing, which I, of course, must say. Go Besiktas! Back! Back! Back, baby! And you know who else is back soon? Rick and Morty!
Oh, Disney Plus, The Mandalorian is coming. The Mandalorian, episode 9, we got uh, Fallen Order, man. Uh, I guess, I think like video game season. Isn't that good? Besiktas International hopes you enjoyed this program.